Hello and welcome to the KC at the Movies podcast for July 9th, 2019. It's a wonderful Tuesday. It's nice and sunny outside. A little bit cold, but sunny all the same. How are you guys doing? How's your week been? Um, was quiet last week. Uh, I think I, if you followed my Instagram, you would know that um, uh, the reason I was quiet last week, I was I uh, didn't watch Far From Home until uh, Thursday, so I was supposed to go Monday and do that, and was supposed to do a... Um, a, uh, a podcast on Tuesday, but um, ended up seeing Far From Home on Thursday, and it didn't actually have time on the weekend to go see it, so um, that's why uh, you're getting one, you know, you're getting a late one, but you're still going to get, because you're going to get two podcasts this week, you're going to get this podcast right now, and you're going to get uh, the best of the year so far on Thursday. Uh, now, what's happened in this podcast? Well, I mentioned I'm talking about two horror remakes before I get into talking about Far From Home. Um, I'm going to be talking about Child's Play. Before we get into Far From Home, I'll talk about Child's Play, and I'm going to talk about Pet Cemetery because I recently watched uh, those two films, and which are remakes of classic horror films. Uh, I don't know if I'd call Pet Cemetery a classic, but uh, based on a classic book, I guess, from Stephen King. Um, these fucking pages keep going. So, um, I thought I'd start with um, talking about Child's Play. Now, uh, Child's Play is based on the, you know, the classic horror films with the, the killer doll named Chucky. And uh, he's, you know, he's possessed by an evil spirit. As we know, in the original films, he's possessed by an evil spirit. He goes around killing people because that's what the evil spirit wants to do because the evil spirit's a, a bit of a serial killer. And uh, there's been about, oh, I think there's like seven movies right now of that series, um, you know, created by Don Mancini, and, uh, I think they're doing a TV series at the moment, but, uh, what happened was, uh, people got together, they wanted to remake, or reboot, I don't know if, I don't know what to call this, a remake or a reboot of the original Child's Play film, not to even advance the series of Chucky, um, because at the moment those films are called just Chucky, but no, they're going to reboot the whole entire Child's Play um, thing. I don't think there's going to be a second one after this one, but they're going to do the whole, um, they're going to do it all again. Do it, do it differently this time. And, um, instead of having a good, good guy, I think it's a good guy, doll, um, it's a buddy doll. Uh, now, it's directed by Lars Klevberg and written by Tyler Burton Smith. And it is the original story of, um, Chucky. Uh, a mother played by Aubrey Plaza is, uh, you know, works at a, a, a department store. Her son is got a birthday coming up, and she decides to buy a kind of, uh, let's say, a faulty doll. Um, it's these new buddy dolls that allow. They're kind of like your Alexa or your Google Home device. Kind of like that, like um, pretty much a smart device, but with like, you know, in a in a doll kind of shape. And um, she gets one of those, um, brings it home to Andy, and. Uh, I said chaos ensues. Uh, now we know that, um, or maybe maybe you don't know that uh, the new Chucky is voiced by Mark Hamill, none other than the Joker himself. And um, and with him, you've got um, Brian Tyree Henry, Aubrey Plaza, and Gabriel Bateman playing the new Andy. And uh, look, <clears throat> I was I was strangely looking forward to this movie. Um, I wasn't really a... I didn't really watch the fan of the, um... 
I didn't want to watch the uh, Child's Play movies when I was a kid because I, I, if I'm honest, I was scared of the doll. It was uh, very frightening to see um, Chucky. <laughs> to see uh, to see Chucky. I remember when I was a kid, I went to my friend's house. Um, it was a family friend's house, and they chucked on the. Uh, I think it was the Cedar Chucky. I think. And uh, I remember looking at that, and then looking at um, the fucking doll, Chucky. And just thinking, what the shit? And it gave me nightmares. Literally have nightmares about him. Chucky and the Goosebumps books, ladies and gentlemen. They were things I had nightmares about when I was a kid. Even though I thoroughly enjoyed the Goosebumps books. Um, Chucky is the... He was the one thing I always, always, I was always dreaming about. And if I've had any nightmares, it was always involved in this fucking doll. Um, but, recently, I watched the... I wouldn't say the whole Chucky series. I think I watched the first three Child's Play movies. And I they weren't that scary. They were kind of like a dark comedy. Um, like horror elements in it, but mostly um, very funny because Chucky had a really, uh, I guess, edgy, I guess, personality. Um, and it was very funny, uh, voiced by um, Brad Dourif. He had some funny shit to say, but also like, killing people at the same time. So... Yeah, when I, when I saw this was getting remade, I saw the trailer. It looks fun. It looked entertaining. I'm a big fan of Aubrey Plaza. Um, if I would admit, I'd probably have bias. <laughs> um, love Brian Tyree Henry, especially his work in Atlanta. And, um, you know, Mike Hamill voice and Chucky. What, what, what could go wrong there? So, uh, yeah, this movie was was pretty entertaining at times. Um, I thought the kills were pretty gruesome. It's fun and gruesome, I'd say. They're probably the two words I'd use for the movie. Um, you're probably going to have a good time. Uh, it's very darkly funny. I wish there was more of a personality though to Chucky, because um, I'm I was probably, I think I'm used to Brad Dourif's um, portrayal of Chucky, and Mark Hamill has a good uh, when he when he when he really kicks into gear. Mark Hamill's having a lot of fun with it, but I think it's he's brought like because Chucky's a smart doll, um, he's brought back by it's kind of like it sounds like automated speech, but it's like Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill. So I think it's kind of restricted there of him not having really a, not having a personality. Um, and I, 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 I think that Brad Dourif's doll is, I mean, his, his portrayal is better, um, because he has a lot more fun of it, and Chucky has more of a personality, I'd say. Um, I've talked to a few people that have mentioned the same thing. And, um, yeah, the doll is very weird. It's very weird looking. Um, it took, I remember the first poster came out, and it took a while to get used to that, and just, you know, you, you get the, the other Chucky with, like, the scars and the, um, uh, the stitches and everything. And you got this one with like a really, it's like a plastic looking and a really weird smile. And then you're, um, yeah, I just remember the eyes. I mean, the eyes were red, of course, but like, it just looked very glossy. It was a very glossy finish on it. And I was like, okay, right. Looks a bit weird. I don't know if I can get used to it. And I got over it when I was watching the movie, but I, if I would, you know, if I'll be honest, I was, I was, I was kind of just like, oh, this still looks really fucking weird. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, um, I, I still had to try and get used to the doll's look, I guess. Um, but I will, I will say that some positives I think are Aubrey Plaza. Uh, I think Gabriel Bateman is, he's kind of in and out, but I think he's mostly good. Mark Hamill is good as Chucky. I think he, he does a good job. And Brian Tyree Henry's great in the movie. Uh, I think he's probably my favorite favorite character, I think, other than, um, Aubrey Plaza, who plays a different kind of mum. She's, um, 
that's what I liked about her character. I think she played a different kind of mum. She was not like because I, when I when I heard, I was pretty skeptical, even though I love Aru Plaza. I was skeptical of her playing a mother role because I'm so used to her being typecast as like this, um, you know, sarcastic, deadpan, bad, badass bitch kind of character that, you know, likes to do the wrong thing. Um, and you know, her his mother's a little promiscuous, but I think that she fills the role of playing this kind of mother well. Uh, that's what I liked about um, her character. That they have a lot of um, good banter together, a lot of fun and games. It kind of reminded me of um, the, uh, even though that movie wasn't so great, the Halloween remake um, from last year. Even though that's getting a fucking sequel now, um, the Halloween remake between the babysitter and um, the uh, the black kid. I forget what his name was, but um, yeah, the babysitter and the kid. I thought it kind of reminded me of their banter in that movie. So um, I, I enjoy I enjoyed that. Uh, it's darkly funny a bit as it gets very very funny you, you, know, you can have a lot of fun with like the automated voice but it does it does stretch it a bit I think because um, you know I've, I've I've had those days when I've played with like the automated speech like text text to speech Michael or something like that on the Windows thing making him say naughty words um, he says some funny stuff but I think it just gets older after a while I think and I just wanted I just I, I think I've missed that personality from Chucky that I really wanted to see in this movie but I mean, I get they were trying to go a different route, but I, I just didn't work for me, I guess. Um, it has some really, really cool shots. Um, I will say, for the most part, the cinematography is good, and there are some really, really cool shots. Specifically, there's one shot where um, Chucky escapes the a cabinet, a glass cabinet, and Andy wakes up um, from his room, and you've got a nice blue light coming from his room, and then you have this kind of um, red light that's um, you know been um, shown from the cabinet, um, I don't know if there was like red lights actually in the cabinet or that, that was just a cinematography trick, but it just looked really, really cool. Um, where it, it, it like he he opened the door, he opened the door to his room, he come like tuned to the foreground, and then there would be a there'd be nice blue light, um, giving him a nice silhouette as he comes into the um, cabinet, opens it, and they get this nice red light. He got a nice contrast of red and blue. I mean, obviously of evil and good. And I just think that that shot was just probably one of, that shot was probably my favorite shot in the movie. I think. Um, and also another big positive is the musical score by Bear McCreary. Um, I haven't really heard much of Bear's stuff before, but this was really really cool. A nice spin on the classic score as well from the from the um, original film. Um, you get a nice original song at the end of the credits. Um, so I, I'll just say that stay for the credits because you get a nice original song sung by Mark Hamill um, called the Buddy Song. And um, yeah, I think for the for the for the most of the film, I just really love the musical score. Um, and I went back and listened to the musical score on Spotify because um, it's available on Spotify. And uh, it's really really good, particularly the openings. The opening theme's good. I think he's just called it the Child's Play theme, uh, 2019 theme. But I think that's a really good song. And then he's done a kind of remix on the original theme that plays near the end of the credits. And um, I thought that was really good too. And I didn't know that because I, I mean, I didn't see this movie like very recently. I watched them like quite a while ago, but I didn't know that that was the original that song, the kind of the chimey toy box kind of feel that I was getting from the the score there. That it came from uh, that was the original score in the first one, and I just, I don't know, I, I just didn't pay attention. Um, but yeah, the score really stood out to me and um, helps the atmosphere of the film as well. It gets a bit. 
it gets a bit horror cliche music at times, but it kind of picks up when Bear puts his own um, taste into it. And um, really fun, fun stuff. Nice, as I said, it's a nice kind of demonic toy box feel I get from it, vibes I get from it. Uh, but as as uh, for negatives, um, there's way too many false jump scares. Um, I'm not a fan of false jump scares. I'm not really a fan of jump scares in general, as you probably know from listening to the podcast. When I talk about horror films, I'm not really a fan of jump scares, but there's just a lot of false jump scares. I fucking hate those things. They don't feel warranted. I mean, I've, I can go on all day how I don't like false jump scares. I think I did a bit of a rant in an earlier podcast where I talked about false jump scares. Didn't like that shit. Um, and I just think when you have, you know, you're, you're having it, you're going for a different feel for this movie. Um, and you're using the smart technology to, to kill, um, your, like your, um, I mean, your, your victims. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, there's a lot of different ways that Chucky could have killed his victims. And I just think that creative potential wasn't reached in the movie. Um, I just saw I just saw so many ways. There's some really gruesome and cool deaths, and I like those ones. But I just think there could have been a bit more um, creativity with the kills there, especially if we're dealing with this kind of smart technology and the way that Chucky can control most devices in the home or in, at the um, the supermarket when the third act takes place. I just think there could have been more more things could be done there. I, I was thinking of different kills I could have done throughout the whole movie, and I just couldn't help myself but think about what I could have done um, if given the chance if to lay out different kind of creative kills you, you could use with this kind of technology and, and um, you know, uh, how far you could, you could stretch it. Probably couldn't stretch it too far. And I do say there's a bit of limitations, but there are some avenues that you can go down and, and I didn't think this, the film really explored that, I think, to its full potential. Uh, but other than that, I think it's a, um, you know, it's, it's a fun watch. I, don't, I, I wouldn't say it wasted my time. I just think if you, if you're really put off by the doll looking weird, that you're not going to, that's going to really bug you because, I mean, he's obviously in a lot of the film. Um, and, um, but I think you, you know, get through it if you like the kills and the gruesome, um, the, the brutality of it all, I guess, with the doll. And, um, the, the, the comedy hits. I think the dark comedy really hits, especially with, um, with Chucky himself, really, and um, Brian Tyree Harry's character. Um, I think you'll like it. I know there's a lot of people that didn't like it um, who are fans of the original Child's Play series, and they, they are not a fans of it at all. They don't like it at all. But if you haven't really seen Child's Play before, and if you just want a nice horror movie to get through, it's only 90 minutes long. Um, if you want like a nice fun watch feeling like a classic well, watching a classic slasher I think Child's Play is the way to go um, I don't think I'll be watching it again but I mean, I, I couldn't say they're wasting my time alright <clears throat> moving on sorry about my um, voice as well I've got a bit of a cold festering I think I woke up today and um, we had a house inspection and uh, I slept through it <laughs> but um I don't know, I just woke up and there was a bit of a... I think it was the dust from the room or something, I don't know. But it's gone into my sinuses and now it's fucking with them. And uh, after having a shower and, you know, getting ready and shit, I'm just feeling like there's a bit of a something in the back of my throat. So hopefully it doesn't, you know, evolve into anything. I might fucking get it before it does. But that's why I sound a bit, you know, sick. 
right now. <clears throat> All right, let's talk about um, Pet Cemetery because I was also looking forward to this movie as well. Um, I didn't go see it in the cinema because, again, I'm a bitch. But uh, I did. I did see Child's Play in the cinema, but I waited for this one to come out. I caught it on um, VOD. And uh, look, so I watched um, the original Pet Cemetery. I haven't read the book yet. Now, after seeing these two movies, I really want to read the book because I know that it goes into a lot more detail and explores a lot of different parts of like people's um, the, the characters' stories, um, especially I think Judd's wife Norma. But um, so now I want to read that book. But I've seen the original movie. It's got terrible acting in it. But the themes really interest me, and I like um, Fred Gwynn playing... His, his version of Judd is definitely the best part of that film. Um, so I was... I was looking forward to this one. I was looking forward to a nice... A, a, really, a cool, modern... Um, uh, version of this, um, this classic Stephen King novel, which I'm, you know, very, very interested to read now. Um, especially you got the not good cast. You got Jason and Clark, Amy Simons, John Lithgow, and uh, you know, it's a nice cast to start with there. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd say though, I'd say before you watch this movie, do not watch the trailer. The trailer spoils everything, um, and I mean everything. And uh, I remember, I think I only watched one trailer from this, and then I stopped, and then I didn't really. I mean, I knew what the big twist was, but which I might talk about a little bit of spoilers at the end of this review because there's some things that I want to hit on that I just can't hit on without spoiling a little bit of it. But I'll get to that. I'll get to... I'll do a spoiler-free shit um, before we get into that. So if you don't know what the story of Pet Cemetery is, um, it's about Lewis Creed, who... Um, him and his family... Um, his uh, wife Rachel, his son Gage, and his daughter Ellie moved to move from Boston to rural Maine, and um, they, after their um, cat dies, uh, they discover that there is something sinister just above this pet cemetery that's near their house on their land, which is actually part of their property. And I'll leave it at that. Um, and as um, maybe some of you know it's based off a very famous Stephen King novel so um, yeah right off the bat performances are great uh, Jason Clark is great Amy Simons is great Probably Amy Simons is probably my favourite part of the movie um, I, and I love John Lithgow's portrayal of Judd I think I do like Fred Gwynn's more because it has that nice main accent but uh, I think John Lithgow did a great job here I think he, yeah, I think he really did a great job but my favourite definitely is Amy Simons um, and her betrayal. And it's got some good moments of tension. Um, it's got some really cool practical effects um, and makeup. Uh, I really, really liked that part of it. And um, and yeah, I, I wanted to get into... I mean, you know, there's, there's quite a bit I want to get into, but yeah, I'll just say the performances. My biggest positives are the performances, and the I really like the makeup. It really stood out to me. Um, there are some CGI stuff in it, but I think I, the makeup really stood out to me. <coughs> but the performances um, are across the board; they're all great. 
um, especially yeah, Amy Simons. And that is a big thing to say because the performances in the original are terrible. Um, especially the guy that I forget the actor's name, but he played Lewis. What? I, wow! <laughs> like, I honestly, I challenge you to go back and watch Pet Cemetery and try to watch the original and get through that acting because I don't know if that's like the kind of the um, um, the charm of it, but I don't know. To me, it was not because I, that acting was just so bad, so bad. So I was very happy that the acting was good in here. Um, but I will say, I mean, I'm going to get into a bit negatives now because I was very like, I think I'm more negative on this movie than positive. Um, I'm not saying that Pet Cemetery the classic is a, it, sorry, the Pet Cemetery the original film is a classic, but I think I'm, I think I'm more interested in the themes of the movie than what the actual film is, and that's why I really want to read the book now to like kind of appreciate this kind of story more. Um, but I'll just say that these two films I mean this one is definitely better than the original I'd say this is definitely better than the original but again there's just a few things that I did not like at all um, I want to start with uh, Lewis Jason Clark. even though he does a great performance Lewis Creed is just such a boring character and there's just really nothing to him um I think the, the best character in the movie that has a lot of trauma is um, and a lot of stuff to deal with is Amy Simons, um, is Rachel. She has um, a sister named Zelda that um, uh, something happened with them in their childhood and it's a... Um, I mean, it, it gets very dark and, and weird, but something happened with them in the childhood and that's really playing on her... Um, uh, her, I guess, mentality throughout the movie, and it really escalates in the third act. Which I'll say, the second half of the movie is definitely better than the first half. You do have a lot. You do have the first half to set up everything, like the original movie does. You know, set everything up and and explain why this burial ground has these kind of powers and stuff like that. These supernatural powers and uh, like well, where that came from and you know what how people are so attracted to it um, there's a great quote in the movie that I really like is um, said by Judd that says uh, like I think it's um, people, you can think of the sweetest smelling reasons to go back to the ground and um, that was that was it, it was interesting to see that kind of you know um I guess it really reinforces how strong it how strong it is to um and, and what it what it really does how how it uh, attracts people to it, um and gets them to keep coming back they want to come back. Uh, but yeah, back to Ed um no Lewis sorry. Back to Lewis I just I just yeah there's just nothing to him. Um, Jason Clark has I mean he tries his best really with what he's given with this character but he, this character is just very one note he just he's just reacting to everything throughout the movie he's a doctor that's it that's really all you get with Lewis and what didn't make sense throughout these movies which I probably might hit on in a book like why Lewis is like experiencing these things beforehand like why he's going through this stuff like I don't know if he had any trauma or if he had any kind of backstory that, you know, the movie hasn't got into yet, but I was like, why is he experiencing it all? 
Um, and like, maybe like Judd could get involved there. I don't know. That's just my kind of opinion. <clears throat> could focus more on Judd. I think he's one of the most interesting characters in the movie anyway. Um, and it has a lot of false jump scares, man. It's got a lot of false jump scares. I mean, the truck jump scares pissed me off. Um, it's there's. Uh, I'll just lay it out for you. There's a there's a there's a scene in the beginning of the film where they're they're getting out of the car, and um, she's holding Gage in her arms, and then out of nowhere, this truck just comes speeding past, and it's a really loud sound. They play the whole cliche shit, that loud sound, the big fucking reactions. And it just it just pissed me off. Like it got me, but it pissed me off. And there's just a lot of those jump scares throughout the movie. There's there's quite a few actually. There's more than child's play, I'd say. And I just don't like it. I don't like it. it doesn't work. I mean, it it gets me, but it just doesn't work in the long run. It doesn't has no lasting effect. So it's not very. No, it doesn't doesn't work. Sorry. <clears throat> As I said, um, now. I would like to, um, and I didn't, I wasn't a fan of the ending. I'll say that. Before I get into a bit of a spoilers, I wasn't a fan of the uh, ending. Um, I don't like the original ending either. So I don't know if I want, if the book's ending would be better. I don't know. But I just wasn't a fan of that ending. There's a, there's a limit to my suspension of disbelief. And what happens in the end is very, very hard for me to buy. So... It just didn't work for me. Um, I had a problem with that. I know a lot of people did like the ending. And then there is, a, on the Blu-ray release, there's going to be another alternate ending, which um, I have yet to see. But I'll be interested to see what they do there. But yeah, I just couldn't I just couldn't buy that. There is, yeah, as I said, there's a, there's a limit to my suspension of disbelief. I, I, if something is set in the movie, established, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it. But what happens in the end, I was just like, nah, you don't have me. Sorry. Um, now guys, we're going to get into a little bit of a spoilers now. Um, I won't, it's like, it's minor spoilers, but I think, um, I want to talk about it. So if you haven't watched Pet Cemetery, don't keep listening to this. I mean, um, to the end of this, the end of this review, um, just skip ahead to the, to the Spider-Man Far From Home spoiler free stuff. Um, there's going to be some timestamps in the description as well. So just follow those timestamps and, um, you know, uh, you'll be right. <laughs> you'll be safe. So once again, spoiler warning. If you've seen Pet Cemetery, though, uh, you know, if you're keen to listen on, sure. Uh, but yeah, once again, spoiler warning, spoiler warning. I'm going to talk about uh, some parts in Pet Cemetery that I just think that I want to get into. I want to uh, dissect a bit. <clears throat> now, there is, as I said, I, w- I would have been interested to see more of Rachel's story, especially with her sister Zelda. I mean, I know that sister Zelda had a problem with her spine, and in Rachel's childhood, uh, she died. And Rachel felt like she was the reason she died, because she put the food on the dumbwaiter, and then Zelda fell down the shaft into the, um, you know, and pretty much killed herself. Um, but now Rachel, but obviously Rachel feels like she has killed her. Um... I know there's a few people like asking like how is Rachel hallucinating um, when it's not really I mean it doesn't really affect her really what's happening but what I think is what's happening in um, throughout the movie is like she kind of like feels bad at first and like, obviously she's traumatized by it at first and she's dealing with it 
And I think Damien Salamitz does a great fucking job of doing that. And um, her her little um, mannerisms and, and twitches, I like, there's a really cool scene where she's just gripping the blanket really hard. And um, I love that scene because she can hear, she feels like she can hear like Zelda crawling around the roof and stuff. Um, dragging herself across the floor. And then I think it p- picks up at the end of the film because like, you know, the burial ground has been opened. Um, the powers that be have come into the, you know, come into the property and started fucking with her. And I guess they're boosting the hallucinations. Um, but, so that is what I would have wanted to see more. I wanted to see more of that kind of, of what's going on there with Rachel and her sister. I think that could have been, that is the most interesting part of the movie to me anyway. Um, as much as I like the weird supernatural stuff, and especially the third act, how it gets all crazy. It just goes crazy in the third act. I was really, really interested in to see more development with um, Rachel's character. Um, but here's a bit of a spoiler that I, I have to talk about. Um, there's a scene in the end where Rachel... Well, Rachel moves away because as we... As uh, you've probably seen from the trailer, because thanks, trailer, Ellie is the one that dies instead of Gage in this remake. She's the one that gets hit by the bus. And there's a bit of a fake out because the bus is going towards Gage and is about to hit him. Lewis grabs him, pulls him aside, but then the bus skids. The tanker comes off the back and then it fucking crushes Ellie. And then they have a great scene. I mean, it's way better than the fucking original one where the guy's like, No! I think it's done way better. than that oh my god I could not but laugh when I watched that Jesus Christ the sun just died and I'm laughing I don't get it but um yeah <clears throat> Ellie is the one that died in this movie and uh because of how you know obviously terrible that is um Rachel has to go back to her parents house um and take Gage with her and then when she comes back, because I think what, what Lewis Creed is really in this movie as well is a huge exposition dumper. And so is Judd, unfortunately. But um, <clears throat> there's a scene where Rachel comes back. It's, it's right near the end. Rachel comes back and it's the scene. It's the hug your daughter scene, really. That's what I'm calling it. The hug your daughter scene. And um, Ellie is hugging... Undead Ellie, I'll say, is hu- hugging Rachel. And... Um, you've kind of got Lewis explaining to her like why Ellie's alive and everything and just like, oh, there's a new burrow ground. It's just quick, 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 quick. And it's just exposition, 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 all in one fucking one full swoop, exposition. What I would have done, I think, if I was the writer, um, I don't want to sound too like, well, this is, this is, this is it. This is, well, it literally is what I would have done, but I just have an idea of how that could have worked better. I think... I'm just going to call this a bit of a rewrite. I think if you have, on top of Ellie, um, you know, being killed, and Rachel being really affected by that, you have Lewis kind of explained that he's going to, he's he what he did to church, he's going to dig, you know, he's going to dig, um, he's going to bury Ellie, and then she's going to rise again. And he looks, he, I have him, I'm going to have him explain that what he did to, I mean, the process of it all and, and, and the ending of Burial Ground and have him explain it all there. I mean, I know it would still feel like an exposition dump, but have it explain it there and then kind of have um, Rachel not kind of trust 
um, Lewis. And then on top of their daughter dying, that would be the reason that Rachel takes Gage and goes, well, I'm get the fuck out of here because you're insane. And then goes to her parents and then... Um, <clears throat> yeah, and then when Rachel comes back, then have Lewis kind of like get her to trust get her to trust him again and still have her kind of deal with that I just think it could have been more effective if that was also the reason that she left as well and and instead of Lewis just in, in like instead of Lewis just just fucking flooding her of exposition in that in that final scene uh, where he's just going this this that this this uh, this is happening oh blah blah this is what I did blah 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 and it's it just doesn't it's just, it's shit um, there could be like some more. I wouldn't obviously know what dialogue to put there. I mean, I, I had to think about it, but I would have that also be the reason. Instead of him having in one go, you have like a bit of exhibition here, and then a little bit of exhibition here, but then like a kind of like a resolution in that scene, um, in the hug your daughter scene. <clears throat> uh, but that's that's what I would have done. I mean, it's, it's just yeah, that's just my opinion and my rewrite. I'm sure there's a lot of other people that would have done something differently. You would have done something differently, sure. Uh, I just think it would have, for my taste, it would have worked better from my experience. Um, that sounds so fucking douchey. <laughs> oh man, I would have written it like this, and then I would have watched it and enjoyed it. Oh my fucking god, how how much can I suck my own dick? Um, but yeah, so I, I would just say that Pet Cemetery is all right, and I think I mentioned it um, earlier. I'm just more interested, I think, in the theme of the film than what the actual film is. Um, the idea of, like, dead is sometimes better. And instead of, you know, uh, not letting go of your of what happened to you and, and you want to kind of keep a kind of uh, tangibility to, uh, like, you know, to that, that specific event. Um, you don't, like, for example, like, you don't want your cat to die. Like, let's say... Let's dog lovers out there. Let's just say, like, your dog died, and you wanted, and you love your dog. You know, you love your dog, and you know your dog dies, and you go to bury him, and then your fucking creepy neighbor goes, "Oh, let's bury him in the indoor burial ground." Um, and I won't tell you what happens. You'll just find out. So then you're sleeping, and then you have your wife, husband, whoever, um, partner. And then your dog just comes in, and it's got like really like gnarly looking teeth, and just like a kind of dre like droopy face, and it looks fucked. And then would you just kind of, because and, and yeah, and then church is like constantly dirty as well. You can't wash church. Same with Ellie. Like in the, in the end of the film where um, she's getting a bath by Lewis, and he's brushing her hair, and it's just pulling on her hair, and it's just ripping her hair out of scalp, and then he it's yeah. So would you still like kind of like, oh hey dog, like my my dog Maverick for example, if he died, and then if I had kind of like a set obsession to keep him alive, so I could you know feel better, um, and then he he kind of appears in my room, and looks at me, also tries to bite me, tries to attack me at every single chance he gets. Um, yeah, I don't I. I don't, I don't think I would that. You would want your best for your pet. And then that's what I mean. Like, sometimes dead is better because it's better for them. And a the whole theme of the movie is, like, does the afterlife exist? I know that Lewis has a lot of crises of faith. 
that he doesn't believe that there's something in after the afterlife and then you've got Rachel who's saying to Ellie um, I thought that scene was done well when they kind of explained to Ellie their kind of different points of view of what is there after you die Lewis believing that there's nothing you're just dead and then Rachel believing that there is uh, there's an existence for you in the afterlife so as, yeah I think I'm just more interested in those themes and um, what that what you can really explore there and talk about and discuss and then the actual movie itself because it's just like it's just this bland thing jump scares bolstered by really good performances so that's Pet Cemetery. That's what I thought about those two horror remakes. Um, I think I would recommend Pet Cemetery more. I think, um, even though I, I, I know I sounded really pretty negative on it, but I think I recommend it more than Child's Play. I mean, there's a lot more. Even though it's full of exposition, there's just a lot more juice to it. I think um, that's a really weird word he is, but that's going to stick with it. That's what I'm going to say. Juice. Um, and then Child's Play is just if you want to have fun turn your brain off Child's Play is just a great slasher um, like a fun slasher movie I wouldn't say great but fun slasher movie that feels like it's from like the 90s or something alright let's get to the part you probably all came to hear um, so as I mentioned before I didn't see Far From Home when it came out July 1st on Monday last week I actually saw it on Thursday on uh, July 4th. And I ended up going and see it on Thursday with a couple of friends of mine. And uh, loved it. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, I think it's... It might be my favourite Spider-Man movie. Uh, might be. I still really, 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 really like Spider-Man 2. The original Sam Raimi um, trilogy. From, from the original Sam Raimi trilogy. But this might be my favourite. I like this better than Homecoming. Um, I think it's better paced. I think it's got, it's, it's, everyone's moving constantly and it's good and you just feel like you're in it, the whole movie, I think. Um, I don't think the first, I mean, there's a lot of people who think the first movie path kind of just, just relies on jokes and kind of drags a bit. It does feel like you're kind of high school romance, but because I think I'm used to, um, like I like these characters, I wouldn't say I'm used to, like full on used to them yet. I like these characters. I was... I was happy to, to watch it all and I liked the, I liked the first half and especially how it explains like the snap and everything um, so before I start I have to say you have to watch Endgame um, if you didn't see the trailers and if you want to go in nice and blank um, you have to watch and I would say Infinity War as well you have to watch Infinity War and Endgame before you watch this movie because there's a lot of stuff in this movie that relies on you having seen those movies and having those knowledge of certain things, especially in the beginning, and then especially of this massive looming thing <laughs> throughout the whole movie, is a spoiler from Endgame and Far From Home, which, you know, the trailers were just like, yeah, well, fuck it, let's just tell them. Um, so, yeah, before I start, you have to watch Endgame, and you have to watch, you have to watch Infinity War and Endgame. Um, I wouldn't just say Endgame, I think you have to watch Infinity War too, I mean... I think because to watch Endgame you need to watch Infinity War so to watch this Infinity War Endgame you get it and I will say this not only works as a great Spider-Man film but as a great MCU film and I see now why this is the end of Phase 3 not the beginning of Phase 4 um, 
I understand now because I was just like, why this wouldn't shouldn't Endgame? Because the sense of finality we get with that movie shouldn't Endgame be the end of Phase Three? Uh, I understand that now. This is the end of Phase Three. I understand why this is the end of Phase Three now. Why they chose this one to be, and then we don't know anything about Phase Four because we'll probably find out at Comic Con, right? Um, so. Spoiler-free stuff. Uh, I'll say that Tom Holland is fantastic. He's always great as Spider-Man. Um, he's my favorite. He is my favorite Peter Parker, and he's my favorite Spider-Man. I think. Um, I mean, Tobey Maguire's classic. Andrew Garfield. I wasn't really keen on. I wasn't hot on him at all. But I think Tom Holland is my favorite one. Um, Zendaya, um, MJ, is much better in this movie. I didn't like her at all in Homecoming, and. Um, I just thought her character was pretty nothing and she was kind of that way just for the sake of it and there was no meat to her character and uh, I think she's much more developed in this movie. I liked her much more and I definitely buy Peter and MJ's kind of dynamic more. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal is great as Mysterio. He is probably... I think I liked him better than Vulture even though I loved Michael Keaton's Vulture. I think... I liked Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio better because I think I just love Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, he just pulls it off so well and he's having so much fun playing this villain, I reckon. Um, I think John Watts has really nailed the villain so far for this this franchise. And, um, yeah, I think he's done a, I think he's done a really, really good job of the villains. And if, if we're correct, when I get the spoilers, I want to talk about what his next villain could be. Um, which I'll be, you know, interested to see what he does with that. Um, there are some really cool visuals. Uh, there's a certain scene in the middle with Mysterio and Spider-Man that is just awesome. Fucking loved it. Um, but I'll get the spoilers of talking about that and what it reminded me of and everything. Um, it's very, very funny. It's funnier than Homecoming, I think. It's um, there's, or I think most of the jokes landed. Um, yeah, most of the jokes landed. And... Um, I will say that one certain of certain character has the best lines, like best jokes, really, and they just all hit for me. I just love them; they all hit. Um, yeah, I didn't even fucking explain the plot of the movie before I got into them yet. Um, so yeah, it's following the events of Endgame, which I mentioned that you have to see before you watch this movie. Um, so Spider-Man goes on a trip to Europe with his friends, his classmates, and there is a threat that happens during that trip and Mysterio is involved uh, I'm not going to say how without spoiling it but he's involved and uh, things are happening <laughs> it's very hard not to spoil it <laughs> um, and yeah that's and I will just say finally um, uh, it's really weird talking about talking about it and then going into the plot I don't know welcome to just discombobulated structure ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Um, I will say that there is, I just like the way that Peter is developed in this movie and what he has to do is um, just interesting to watch and I love how Tom Holland just like tackles that kind of, and these kind of um, the responsibilities that he was, that have, uh, well, I mean, how do you not spoil it? The responsibilities, I guess, that were left for him after what happened in Endgame. There we go. 
that he may not want to take on or may want to take on or having trouble taking on. So there we go. That's, I mean, that could be some minor spoiler in there, like if you really care about certain words, but that's all I can do with that giving a full spoiler. So let's get into the spoilers. Um, I want to talk about them. I want to talk about a lot of shit. So <clears throat> yeah, really great Spider-Man film. Better than Homecoming. Uh, loved Peter and Jay's dynamic more. I think there, Tom Holland's a lot more to do in this movie. Spider-Man has a lot more to do. And I think that um, the threat is better. Uh, it's great to see that there's a, they're, um, they're kind of following the same theme as what was happening for those movies, um, which I'll get into the spoilers. And I just liked how it, it's still doing that really well. And uh, Jay Gyllenhaal's great as Mysterio, man. He's he's great. He's great. I mean, what is there? <laughs> what is there more to say there? So that's it. Recommend it. Great Spider-Man film, but also a great chapter in the MCU. So, without further ado, <laughs> let's get into spoilers. Let's talk about some things that I want to talk about, because I've got a lot to talk about here. So, if you don't want to, if you haven't seen Spider-Man Far From Home, and you don't want to hear any spoilers, well, guess fucking what? Spoiler warning, because we're going to get into some shit. We're going to talk about some stuff that needs to be said that I have to talk about because I have very I was I was like fucking treading on the ice there when I was talking about those things and I was just like oh shit nearly fell off there but um, I'll be able to talk about them here so yes um, let's do it let's talk about spoilers there's your warning again as I said before with the Pet cemetery stuff follow the timestamps and if you want to skip to like talk about the trailers in the end um, you can skip out the trailers so we're going to end the spoilers now so you've been warned Okay, let's do it. First of all, let's talk about those fucking post credit scenes. Uh, Joe Jana Jameson's back. Um, I fucking, holy shit. Um, and it's, not only is he back, he is played by none other than J.K. fucking Simmons. Once again, uh, Joe Jana Jameson is truly back and loves how they kind of, he's doing his kind of modern version of the character. He's not like, I mean, it'd be really weird if, like, uh, Peter was, like, the, you know, the, uh, if they went with the same kind of uh, plot as, like, the the first few movies where you got Peter working as the photographer for the Daily Bugle and you've got Joe Jonah Jameson, his boss, he's chasing Spider-Man, blah, blah, blah. I think his modern version, they're doing really, really well. It's kind of reminded me of um, Alex Jones's Infowars. Um, I mean, it had the setup. You've got, like, the logo in the corner. Yeah, it really reminded me of that stuff. And uh, it was just really cool to see J.K. Simmons do it again. It was awesome. It was so fucking cool. I, had, I was mouth agape, man. Mouth agape. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, Spider-Man identity is revealed by Mysterio at the end. Uh, Mysterio uses um, the footage that he was videoing and kind of edited it to look like Spider-Man had killed Mysterio like, without any, you know, with malicious intent and uh, wanted to kill a lot of people and just says he wants to kill them all. So now Spider-Man is kind of feeling like, I kind of like what we're getting here. Spider-Man's on the run, but he does have someone to trust and, and lean on um, with MJ because she knows his true identity now, um, before that even. And I like that she found out 
about that because now yeah he has someone to trust and has something to someone to help him with what's going on because um, I know that the Avengers I mean what could be really cool is like the Avengers could not trust him in the third one he could really be on the run uh, but I don't know what they're going to do there <clears throat> and then the final post credit scene is uh, the scrolls uh, we find out that Nick Fury and Maria Hill are scrolls is uh is talos and i think i forget his wife's name but ben mendelson it was great to see him again because he was the best part of captain marvel to me and um nick fury is like somewhere in space and just they're just doing his dirty work they're doing his work and they're him, him and me uh they're being uh himself and maria and they're just doing the on earth work and fury's working on the outer, outer world stuff so that was really cool um, sounds feels like sorry feels like they're going Secret Wars I don't know but um, if you don't know what Secret Wars was it's like a scroll invasion into the Avengers and you found out like some Avengers were not the Avengers because they were scrolls because scrolls some scrolls are naughty little boys and girls and they want to kill people <laughs> they are not all nice like Talos and they are uh, yeah they're evil they're so as simple as it to say they're evil so I don't know if they're going to go Secret Wars path um, I guess we'll find out at Comic Con so because Marvel has got the big hall H so uh, we'll find out what they're doing there and Kevin Feige definitely probably has something planned because um, I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting that at all first of all I wasn't expecting Spider-Man's identity to be revealed for the whole world and then just having that happen already and then him, and then they've got, they've got the big scrolls thing. Um, I think I'm more hot on the um, the Peter's identity thing. I think it could be really something cool could be done there. And, it's, and I'm really, really interested to see what John Watts does with the final film. He's mentioned that he wants to do Craven the Hunter for the villain for the next one. Um, I don't know much about Craven, but I've heard he's a uh, he's kind of like a underrated favorite of the Spider-Man franchise and um so that'd be cool i'll have to read up on him and find out like what he's more about i think there's a a certain comic that someone recommended to me that has spider-man and craven the hunter in it um i forget what it's called but apparently it's a good comic and explains why craven is such a good villain um and i wonder if they will keep in line with the kind of disgruntled employees of tony stark kind of villains because you had vulture who was picking up the scraps of the Avengers team and then Tony was in charge of damage control and then you have Mysterio who is Quentin Beck who is an ex-employee of Tony's and develops the technology that Tony had in Civil War and named it Barf he, like, Tony named it Barf and there's a great line where he's like he called my life's work Barf um, which is during that kind of exposition scene that not many people did like but I did like I, I really liked that scene because it was just how Drake Hall did that uh, but I'll get to him in a second I want to talk about most of all after we talked about the post credit scenes I want to talk about um, just the lasting legacy that Tony has left on everyone and it's really really felt during this movie because uh, as, as we know in Endgame Tony sacrificed himself to save everybody to destroy Thanos and you know, snap him away. <clears throat> Therefore, yep, killing himself, saving everyone. 
And it feels like even in death that Tony is present in this movie. Um, you've got Edith, which is, stands for Even Dead, I'm the Hero, which is very funny. It very, very much suits Tony's character. And um, that, that kind of the technology he left for Peter. Um, and I like that when Peter feels like he can't really fill those shoes, he gives it straight to Quentin Beck. And obviously that's Quentin Beck's whole plan is that Mysterio is evil, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, and I just like the struggle that Peter's going through where he's feeling like he can't really feel if he needs to fill Tony's shoes or if he needs to feel like he needs to lead the Avengers because now that Captain America has gone back to the 70s to be with Peggy um, well he hasn't gone back he's old now so he can't really be the one of the lead Avengers you got Thor in, in, the, in space uh, Black Widow's dead and Hawkeye is you know Hawkeye what, what's he gonna do um sorry sorry Clint <laughs> um yeah so I wonder if he's like he's gonna uh I don't know fill those kind of shoes uh not too sure what I'll do there but I just like that he was kind of struggling with that he wants to be a kid he still wants to be a kid and he wants to just go on his trip and he realizes that being a superhero, you know, it comes with a lot of costs that you have to give up your personal life to, I guess, uh, save the world for the greater good because, you know, you're a fucking Avenger. But Peter's struggling with, yeah, wanting to be a kid and still wanting to be, have fun and go on his trip with everyone and enjoy himself and, and tell MJ, especially tell MJ how he feels about her and hopefully that she feels the same way. Um, I love the suit-up scene on the jet um, in the Netherlands where you have um, where Peter is actually building his own suit and it's very very reminiscent of the scene in Iron Man where Tony is doing that that the scene where he puts his hand in the uh, kind of the holographic uh, image and puts it in his hand like a gauntlet and then you've got Spider-Man doing the same thing Peter's doing the same thing and then you got Happy just looking at him and having like a, such a, a look of like fuck that's Tony right there that's Tony and um, it's just beautifully done I fucking loved that scene and uh, yeah it's definitely this film is definitely a movie about a legacy and um, and like how how because uh, even Mysterio wants to leave a legacy he wants to be the person that he wants to be the hero he wants to set up situations where he is the victor of it all and, and everyone can trust him and, and everyone he wants to be the new Tony Stark really he wants to be the new Iron Man and um, you know he has to obviously he comes to realise that you can't just work behind the uh, you know work work behind the curtain to do that you gotta put in the work man you gotta put in the work <clears throat> um so yeah, next I want to talk about uh, Peter and MJ's relationship, which I which I uh, mentioned before that I wasn't a fan of Zendaya's portrayal of MJ or uh, Michelle in the Homecoming, and I just didn't have to think her character was ugh, and I was just like, all right, I just I just don't know why you're like this, and there's no reason for you to be like this, but you're just like this. Your character was written very poorly. 
and then he got this scene which is like, oh my friends call me MJ and I was like oh fuck off <laughs> that was my face I literally rolled my eyes when I saw that scene I was like oh god but now she gets a lot more development to do um, in, development in this movie she, has, she gets a lot more to do I really buy Peter and MJ's dynamic I mean I loved their little their awkwardness and their kind of high school romance I think the chemistry between Tom Holland and Zendaya is, is amazing it's such it's so magnetic and it, it just feels like a high school romance it feels like the kind of awkwardness that you know these two students would go through these two people young people would go through um, trying to express their emotions um, one thing that comes to mind was the opera scene where they're at the opera and then Peter has to fight the um, fire elemental that was, um, was <laughs> that was a nice little exchange I think there um and then we kind of get we kind of get a bit we get some meat for her, and we kind of get a bit of re- um, revealing backstory of what of like why I mean not back backstory just like why why she acts this kind of way why she feels like she has to hide her emotions to you know feel superior to other people um, because I guess she doesn't want people to see you know that she can be she's very fragile and she can be very emotional. And um, and I and I, as I said before, I liked that she found out she kind of was putting together that Peter was Spider Man, and then was Peter. She was like, "Hey, I know." And then then when Peter finally tells her that he is Spider Man, she's like, "Well, yeah." Um, I like that because now after the post credit scene, we have someone that's on Peter's side, and that he can that can they can she can assist Peter and in, into help into you know figuring out what they can do to just fuck everything that Mysterio has done because Mysterio has really fucked everything up I'll say that <laughs> um, and then you got the opposite of their romance their kind of real relationship then you got like a uh, I love the um, Peter I mean the Betty and uh, Ned um, romance the nice summer fling they had and then you get in the end scene where they're just like oh we broke up and it was <laughs> I don't know I just love that I, I think people I know a lot of people was just like not a fan of that because I just thought it was kind of not relevant but I just I thought it was a nice contrast to what Peter and MJ are going through, like real emotions and um, how to go through that. And then Betty and Ned are just going for their summer fling kind of thing, and they're just you know, falling in love first sight, then going for their stuff, and then and, and how it's all played for a joke at the end. I just I thought I loved how that was handled. Um, but let's talk about Mysterio. <clears throat> let's talk about Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. It's Quentin Beck, Mysterio. Um, he was great. I think I liked him better than Vulture, even though I mentioned before that, yes, I did like Michael Keaton's Vulture. I was a big fan of him. I thought he was one of the best villains in the MCU. And to have that threat be personal to Peter was a really great choice. Um, and now I, I guess we're kind of keeping it personal because personal in the way that Tony's actions have really affected the future of these pe- of these people and these characters because these are still... I mean, Quentin Beck is a disgruntled employee of Tony and um, feels that he was discarded by Tony. So he wants to be the new Tony Stark. He wants to be the new Iron Man. And, I mean, obviously he's going about it all wrong, but you're, you're understood, you understand his motivation and you understand why he's been so hurt by, those, by t- what Tony has done and then what he, just what he craves. Um... Because Mysterio could be such a ridiculous character, but I just love how Jake Gyllenhaal pulled him off. 
portrayed him, he just had, I just could tell he was having a lot of fun of it. He was having a lot of fun of it. Especially in that exposition scene. Because, you know, that could come off as a, as a uh, big exposition dump. And it could have been terrible. But I just like how it was presented. Like, he, get, he gets the Edith glasses. And then he tells everyone, it's like, and to you! And to you! And it just feels like that that is something that could happen. I mean, that's that's what that's what something someone could say to people. He's literally thanking them for what they've done. And then they've just kind of, you know, just slid in the exposition there. Um, disguised it all as exposition, I guess those kind of um, revealing moments and then Jake just pulls it off with such ease he's just having so much fun being this villain being Mysterio um, and then I mentioned before the cool visuals the certain sequence that I really liked when Spider-Man ended up on his train and that's how he got to the Netherlands um, Mysterio plays a lot with his mind and because he uses a lot of illusions it's you know really fucking with Spider-Man's um, spider senses or Peter Tingle, as it is in the movie, as it's called in the movie. I don't think they've never, I don't know that they ever called it a spider sense, spidey sense in the film. I think it was always Peter Tingle or something. Um, that was fucking hilarious. Um, another kind of uh, genital joke that I appreciated was the, uh, how's the suit? And, it's, and he's like, oh yeah, it's, it's great, but it's a little tight in the web shooter. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah got a bit of a chuckle out of me that bit um yeah his illusion sequences mysterious illusion sequences were just so visually stunning and it feels like something that would come out of a comic book and it reminded me of i'll tell you what it reminded me of it reminded me of a uh, the scenes in arkham asylum where you had scarecrow i mean i don't know if you played the arkham asylum the arkham games with batman um especially arkham asylum where you're going through the corridors and it's all feels like i mean it, it turns into crime alley and then it turns into a different world and then suddenly scarecrows this huge massive being and he's just fucking with you the whole time you, you try and get past him you got to stay out of his eyesight um love those scenes and it really was reminiscent of what you know i experienced in the arkham games and it's really really cool it's a great way of playing with um peter's mind um getting into his head because there's a lot of images that um Mysterio flashes at him that I mean, you know, I wouldn't say traumatizes him, but you know, really affects him. And um, yeah, I, I just love that even Mysterio's whole suit is an illusion. It's the whole thing's an illusion. It's all about deception. His character is all about deception. He, you know, is willing to you know deceive people uh, in order to have them see that he is something else in um you know in contrast that he is the hero instead of being this kind of person that's behind the scenes very very wizard of oz and um, i just liked how that villain was played out i liked how he was like he had the mocap suit pretty much that uh mark ruffle has to wear when he's the hulk um i liked how he had, he had the mocap suit and then everything else is an illusion but um and I like his team as well. Peter Billingsley from Iron Man 1 is in this movie. Holy shit. Who knew that that would come all the way to fruition here in Far From Home? Um, where uh, fucking... I think it's, uh, it's Obadiah Stane, played by Jeff Bridges, where it's like, Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave out of scraps! And it was sweet. It even went back. I think it even went back to that bit. I think as well. I played that. 
Um, that you just get him just getting, and then uh, it feels like he, like he's getting finally getting his revenge on Tony in a way. I guess I don't know what his actual character's name is, but I just like how Mysterio has his little team. He's got like him on the visual effects, and then you've got like his costume designers, and it just feels it feels like um, I think people have mentioned this before, and it, and it feels mirrored. But um, it felt like to me like a film crew. Like Mysterio was the director, and he was um, playing around with a lot of. Um, different aspects and he wanted he had a crew that was able to help him um, pull off this plan um, Janice as well with the cloak costume designer <laughs> she was she was like she was like a costume designer slash like I guess producer I guess I don't know uh, but I love that bit where she's like do you still need the cloak fuck <laughs> it had to be in tears, I think, that bit. Uh, it was really good. But um, I think that's all I need to say about Far From Home. Um, yeah, I mentioned it before. It's a really, really great Spider-Man film. Better than Homecoming. And it's a great chapter. Another good chapter in the MCU. The 23rd film, I believe, in the MCU. And the end of Phase 3. And I see why it's the end of Phase 3 now. And why this had to be the end of Phase 3. And not the beginning of Phase 4. And um, yeah, those are my thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home. Big fan. Big old fan of that one. Um, and I'm keen to see what Marvel does next, especially when you're setting up the post credit scene with the scrolls and it could be going to Secret Wars. I don't know. Um, I'll tell you what I have seen, though. I think Eternals is going to be part of Phase... Early on, I think, in Phase 4, I think Eternals is going to be a big part of it because um, I follow Emily V. Gordon on Instagram, who's, who's Kamal Nanjani's wife, and we know that Kamal Nanjani was rumored to be casted as one of the Eternals, or unless he was casted with Angelina Jolie, I'm not too sure. I think it was rumored though. And she's saying that Kamal's been going to the gym and getting buff in commas. So I believe he's going down the Marvel regimen because he's been casted in Eternals. So that's just my little, you know. My little two cents in there. Uh, I just think that's what's been going on. Uh, I think Eternal's going to be a big part of it. And I think that Black Widow, because that's filming right now. Because um, I also Florence, I also follow Florence Pugh, who's going to be in Black Widow. That um, that's been filmed right now, and uh, Rachel Weisz, I think, is in it as well. David Harbour has been casted, and that may come out um, as early as I think April twenty twenty. I, I mean, I, I don't know, but maybe. So, yeah, keen to see what they do in Phase 4. I mean, we'll obviously have to find out at Comic-Con what Kevin Feige's got planned. But it'd be really cool. So with that, I'm happy with MCU so far. It's been one of my favorite series to watch. I mean, the Infinity Saga, I think, is over now after Phase 4... Over, over, after Phase 3, sorry. After Phase 3. And, um, yeah. Interested to see where they go. So that's what I thought about Far From Home. Um, did you like Far From Home? Did you, did you think it was also a great Spider-Man film, a great MCU film? Is your favourite Spider-Man Tom Holland? Or is it Andrew Garfield? Or is it Tony Garner? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, let me know. Send me some questions. Um, also, yeah, send me some questions anyway if you want to... Um, I'm happy to answer any questions on the podcast as well that you have for me. You can send to Casey Movies Podcast Instagram. You could, you could... If you want, you could send it to my personal one as well. I'm, but I'm thinking about making that apparent cr- private now because I'm just getting way too many fucking bots following me. So... I'm going to think I'm going to make that account private now. And I'll keep the Casey Movies podcast Instagram obviously public so you can access it easier. 
nice and easy. Nice, easy peasy, as Bob would say in Stranger Things Season 2. I mean, I only just watched that last night, so that's why I'm saying it. Um, but I'm starting Stranger Things Season 3 tonight, I think. So I'll be talking about Stranger Things next week, um, even though this film's this podcast is not really much about TV, but big fan of Stranger Things. So, all right, let's finish off with some trailers. How about that? Uh, we got the trailer for Knives Out, uh, Ryan Johnson's new movie, um, after The Last Jedi. We finally got one. And uh, it's... looks good. It looks interesting. It looks like more of a dark comedy, like the way they're going with it. Um, Daniel Craig having that bit of an accent there. Chris Evans is probably my favorite part of the trailer, where he's like, eat shit, eat shit, eat shit. Definitely eat shit. <laughs> to like Tony Collette's character. Um, I think Catherine Langford was there, I think, as well. So, I'm um, interested to see what happens there. Um, and if that's a good film or not, because I think he wrote that in, like, while he was writing, while he was directing The Last Jedi. So, I don't know if it's going to come off as, like, a Darren Aronofsky kind of thing, where he just wrote it all in one, in, like, five days. But, I mean, I hope not. Because I'm a big fan of Ryan Johnson's work, other than Last Jedi. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know if you're a fan of Star Wars, but I do like, um, you know, Brick, Looper. Um, he directed Ozymandias, the episode of Breaking Bad, the second last episode. So, yeah, um, looks fun. Looks like a nice, cool who done it. I like a good murder mystery, so I'm interested to see um, if that's going to be entertaining or not, or if it could be, you know not hit on all cylinders but yeah cool uh we also got another trailer for jumanji 2 uh well we got the first trailer really another trailer but the first trailer for jumanji 2 they're calling it the jumanji the next level um you've got dean devito and danny glover joining the cast now um but returning is obviously kevin hart and then you got um the rock uh jack black who was my favorite part of the first movie and karen gillen is back as our old Ruby Roundhouse. And, um, and this one, Spencer, played by Alex Wolf, he's gone missing, so they've got to go into a different, I mean, they've got to go back into the game, but now they've reached, obviously, the next level, which is, instead of jungle, looks like they're, they're going through, like, kind of mountainous terrain, um, uh, very snowy, there was some snow, I believe, as well, some desert stuff, and then some, like, um, like the peaks of mountains. I mean, it's a really cool scene where you've got like um, monkeys chasing them on like bridges that were changing different directions. And that looks really cool. I had a lot of fun with the first one. It was very presently surprising. And I didn't think it was going to be that good. I thought it was just going to be like this kind of, I mean, even though it is a sequel, it is a sequel to the first one. I'm not going to call it a reboot at all because it has a lot of um, connections to the first one. Uh, well, not a lot, but a few. Um... Yeah, I, I liked, really liked the first one, had a lot of fun with it, and uh, I think I will see this one when it comes out, I think it's probably going to be coming out Boxing Day here in Australia, but um, I really, like, um, really liked the first one, had a lot of fun with it, so, um, yeah, I'm, I, um, I'm keen to see this one, I think, I'm keen to see it. Uh, what was making me really wary, though, is, like, as well as Kevin Hart is pulling off Danny Glover's accent, and, uh, well, not accent, he's, he's kind of... Um, his voice, how he's playing him. Uh, the Rock is not really pulling off Danny DeVito. It feels like he's doing a really bad impression of him. So, I don't know how I feel about that yet. 
um, yeah, I don't know if I'm too like I, if if he do, if it does that the whole movie, like I don't know if I'll be liking it. But I mean, we'll see where it goes. Hopefully, he just does a little bit of it, or just does it better than what I saw in the trailer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it looks fun. I'm gonna go see it because uh, I really like the first one. <coughs> um, well, not really like, but I had a lot of fun with it. You get it. Cool. All right. And then finally, let's talk about what came out yesterday. Was the live action Mulan? Was the tra- first trailer for that? Um, big fan of the original Mulan, the Disney Disney animated film. Uh, I'll make a man out of you is my favorite Disney song. So, uh, I was uh, skeptical when they announced that doing a live action film like I like I am with all live action Disney films even though Aladdin was really good um they've got uh they've got kind of an unknown cast I know Donnie Yen and Jet Li but I haven't heard of the girl who's playing Milan she kind of looks like Lucy Liu <laughs> um and I'll be I'll be surprised to see if that is actually Lucy Liu's daughter um but you know it's about Milan who is kind of like this, she's raised to marry the next kind of prince in the uh, kingdom, but she wants to be a warrior, and um, she disguises herself to be a male warrior, and to, you know, save her dad. Um, th- this trailer, to be honest, I mean, we know this movie is going to be directed by Nikki Caro, it's written by uh, Lauren Hynek and Rick Jaffa, and uh, this trailer looked it was it was fine um i like the visuals i like the cinematography i like the kind of art style we could get with the chinese um uh chinese yeah, the chinese visual style i, I like what we, could, what we could get there the shots look kind of beautiful um the battle scenes looked really cool uh the, i think that that twist that she did was kind of cool but i don't know to me it was just looked it also just felt kind of bland um we we weren't we didn't get mushu and we didn't get any songs in it, um, which I'm okay for a teaser trailer. This is only the first trailer, so I'm okay for that. I don't think the um, I don't think the first Aladdin movie had the songs either. I don't know the first Lion King didn't have the songs, and then they kind of put the songs in at the end um, in the first the next couple of trailers. Speaking of Lion King, fucking comes out next week, doesn't it? Um, yes, it does come out next week. So shit. Uh, yeah, so I, I was just kind of, yeah, it just didn't do much for me. I was just like, all right, okay. Because, like, there's, I think there's already been live-action adaptations of Milan, and they weren't great, but this one is being handled by Disney. It's got the Disney fucking slap on it, so... Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'm wary. I'm wary of it. I don't mind if they don't put Musha the Dragon in it, but I would like to see some songs in it. Um, I know that Nikki Cara has gone on record and said that she has, um, she's, it's not going to be the musical that Milan was, uh, it's not going to feel like a musical, but there is going to be some songs in it, she said, um, and I believe that Mushu is not going to be in it, so if you don't have, if you have Mushu absent of the film, I would like to, it's just in my personal taste, and I know a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine have said the same thing, have some songs in it, like at least, oh man, at least have like, um, I'll make a man out of you or reflections or something like that. Um, yeah, so that's where I felt about the Milan trailer. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll see what they do with the second trailer. 
Um, finally, I just want to talk about before um, we wrap up here, because we're reaching about an hour 20 here and I don't want to go too overboard. But I want to talk about Quentin Tarantino, who's one of my favorite directors and writers. And they're very much a huge inspiration for most of the stuff I do, especially my dialogue. Um, he has he has remained kind of adamant that he will retire after 10 films and uh, IndieWire published an article on July 3rd that he is extremely serious about retiring and he believes that after his 10th film he's come to the end of the road Um, he said that I think when it comes to theatrical movies I've come to the end of the road I see myself writing film books and starting to write theatre so I'll still be creative I just think I've given all I have to give to movies Um, if that's true uh, yeah fine because he even jokes I think he even goes on to joke that um, if it's really well received talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which I'm fucking keen for um, maybe I won't go to 10 maybe I'll stop right now maybe I'll stop while I'm ahead we'll see so I mean, hopefully I mean, as a huge Tarantino fan he does his 10th film and I, like, I've known for a while that he's I mean, we've known since Django that he's going to do 10 films and that's it so, um, you know, I've always been ready to accept that he's going to be ending it after 10 films. That's, that's always done. That's fine as well. Um, but I, I, what, I, what I really am I'm intrigued by is that he's going to write books as well. And he wants to do other things that kind of keep him creative. And because, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of doing the same thing at the moment. I'm, I'm, um, I'm still writing a feature and that's still taking a while to do. I think I'm just like... I think I just need to get in there and write and then stop just thinking about everything And because I'm, I'm a textbook overthinker. So I'm just thinking of things like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work in there. I, was like, I, I think I should just whack it in there, finish the first draft. Because again, I haven't even finished the first draft. So yeah, I need to, yeah, I need to just finish it and then just tweak it after all that and then, you know, uh, modify it in, in later drafts. But I'm also thinking about doing a graphic novel. Um, I've written the spine of what's going to happen in during that novel. Um, it's kind of be, it's kind of be like a mix of um, Harry Potter and um, yeah, it's like Harry Potter but with music. I'll just say that instead of like, it's got magic in it as well, but it's definitely its focus is music. So, because music is a huge inspiration in my life and very and is very much a um, huge creative outlet that um, sparks me to diff- write different things. Um, I just listened to Queens of the Stone Age, actually. Um, I just listened to that album, Like Clockwork, because I've been meaning to get into Queens because um, my best mate, he's, he's into uh, Queens of the Stone Age. I'm, uh, my, my favorite band's Arctic Monkeys. His uh, favorite band's Queens of Stone Age, and because they kind of, I mean, Josh Homme, the lead singer of Queens, and the Alex Turner, the lead singer of Like the Monkeys, work together a lot um, and influence each other a lot as well. I mean, Homme helped record Arctic Monkeys, um, helped Arctic Monkeys record Humbug, which was recorded um, apparently in the desert. And um, Homme is actually has a really good, cool quote that. Um, that I just like, I just really like. It's uh, he said that nobody has an ego in the desert. So, 
I mean, now it's really wants me to go. I want to go in the desert now and do something. <laughs> Don't know what, but create something, I guess, in the desert. Um, but yeah, I, I've I've been wanting to. I mean, as well as writing a feature, I've I've writing a mockumentary series at the moment, The Fun Police, as you guys know, if you follow me on Instagram, you would know that I'm working on Fun Police. It's currently in production. And I want to film that at the end of winter and get that done. Um, and I just finished my latest short film, Shiver, which I haven't really... Uh, I've done the first draft of. I think I want to make a second draft because there's some things I want to... some changes I want to make. But I'm working on that as well. And then, yeah, I've also wanted to... I've written two songs as well. Um, I've written... Sorry, I've written one whole song and then, like, parts of a second song. That that probably... I'll probably evolve that into something bigger um, later on. But I've really... Yeah, been really enjoying songwriting. <laughs> never thought I'd... Uh, never thought I'd say that. Or, you know, hear myself say that out loud. But... I've really been enjoying, yeah, songwriting and having different ideas come to my head about different songs and and um, where those kind of ideas stem from. I've really been enjoying singing. Um, I've been singing a lot uh, recently and, like, not even trying to be... Um, I guess singing to myself, not actually, like, taking singing lessons or anything like that, like, a lot of singing in the shower kind of things, but also it's, like, sitting out in our deck here at um, where we live just having a good old sing along to yourself feeling good about yourself you know um so yeah i've been doing a lot of that and i haven't really i've been pretty slack with the uh if i'm honest slack with the feature because i've been focusing on other things that are also helping me creatively because there i'm just I'm like look i just want to do something about that i want to i want to i have a new idea for that or i want to do that so i need to like set myself into a place where I'm just like, well, I need to finish this first and then I can move on to those things. So, um, I don't know, it's kind of hard at the moment to just just work on one thing and then not think about a million other things that you want to um, attempt to create, I guess. So I get what he's trying to say here. He wants to do books and theatre. And I mean, I haven't really thought about writing a theatre piece, but definitely been thinking about writing a book. Um, just don't know what it would be on yet. Don't know what it would be on yet, but I'm um, in terms of like a book, yeah, definitely a graphic novel. I want to make my own graphic novel and I have a big idea of what I want to do for it. I just need an artist. I just need an illustrator. So, you know, hopefully it's not true and he does his 10th film and then we finish there and we have a great, he has a great um, filmography. Um, I'm really excited for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That comes out in August 11th, 15th, I think, August 15th, um, I think it's August 15th, Thursday, yeah, August 15th, um, I think there's a few preview screens that are going on, um, I'm not too sure if I want to see that in 35mm in, um, because I think the Ritz in Sydney and Hayden Wolfie and Picture Palace in Sydney are both doing a 35mm session, so, kind of tossing up everyone go to 35mm or just going day one at, like, Event or Hoyt here. And it's watching it and VMAX or something like that. But I'm very much looking forward to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's my number one most anticipated movie of the year. Because as I said, big fan of Quentin. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that'll wrap it up, guys. Uh, we've fucking reached the hour and a half mark, Nelly. Um, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Case News podcast for the week. Um, 
go see I mean Child's Play I think it's still or no, it's, I think it's out I don't know if you're interested in seeing those two horror remakes I definitely recommend Pet Cemetery over Child's Play but Child's Play has a lot of fun it has a lot more fun so if you want to watch something out of those two or kind of depends on what you feel like doing if you want to have a lot of fun watch Child's Play if you want to kind of get a bit more bit of a bit more meat deal with a lot of exposition but kind of um, relish in at these really intriguing themes of death um, uh, watch Pet Cemetery. Uh, definitely watch go. F- definitely go watch Far From Home, especially if you're an MCU fan. Um, and before you watch Far From Home, watch Infinity War and Endgame. I cannot stress that enough. You have to watch Infinity War and Endgame before you go see Spider-Man Far From Home. And that's you know that you know when you say like oh you need to see the before the the film before when you can kind of get like analysis or a synopsis. You're just not going to get the same um, information I think when you when you actually experience the film is- itself. And uh, before you go see um, Far From Home. And um, yeah, what do you think about Tarantino retiring after um, after his ten- ninth film or tenth film? Hopefully not his ninth. Um, retiring after his tenth film. Are you going to go see Jumanji the next level? Are you going to go see Mulan? Uh, are you going to see Knives Out? Are you interested in any of those things? Um, hit me up on Instagram at KC Movies Podcast. Chuck me any questions you want to know. Um, I'll answer them like on the page or I'll answer them on the next podcast um, you can also get me on Facebook at Kyle Cruz my public page um, you'll know of the public page because I'm wearing an astronaut helmet in the picture so get me on there I'm working on building my own website as well so hopefully that'll be up and running soon I'm not going to say within like weeks I'm not going to put a time frame on it but I want, really want that to happen soon I'm going to reach out to a friend that can help me with that and um and also have an easier way to access the podcast i know a very easy way is accessing it on spotify and apple podcasts um, which you can follow or subscribe to on but the website is going to be a, a nice kind of um hub for all of my creations really that i want to um you know build so um yeah and uh, Letterbox as well. You can check out my thoughts and reviews here. I'm going to put out all my verbal reviews of these films out um, tonight on Letterbox, so you can be able to check those out. All in verbal film. If you want to, if you don't want to um, get too much into it, just um, check out a Letterbox and Kyle Cruz and follow me on there if you want to see what I'm watching. Because I'm currently, I've got a list on there that I've seen every single like all the movies I'm watching in 2019. I've got a list that you can go check out and see what I'm watching, and there'll be a lot of recommendations in there as well. Speaking of recommendations. Woo, smooth segue. Into th- on Thursday, I'm doing the best of 2019. Um, now, I was going to do the good, bad, and the meh again because I did that with 2018, but I wanted to do something a little different this year and not focus on the films that I'll, uh, you could easily just miss or um, like miss on miss on purpose, really, like not watch them because they're a waste of your time. I want to mention um, 10 films that. I really would recommend that you guys see. Um, I just fucking bought the mic again. Um, and they, they, these films are not like the best films of the year or, um, you know, critically acclaimed, but they're just, they're just 10 films that I want to mention that I want to talk about. I have talked about all of these before, I think, on the podcast, but I want to talk about it again. If you want to revisit those kind of films... Listen on Thursday, I'm going to mention 10 that I think you should have seen this year. And I'm also going to mention three television shows that you should have watched this year as well. That I think are really good. And um, yeah, that's what's happening on Thursday. I think on next week, I want to talk about Stranger Things, but we'll see what happens there. 
Um, I'll mention anything, any updates or anything you'll get on the Instagram page at K-Series Podcast. So, uh, yeah, that's it, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. Be sure to listen on Thursday if you want to get some good recommendations for what you should have should been watching this year. And um, I'll speak to you guys then. Uh, stay safe. Be happy. Have a great week. Uh, and make sure to follow the podcast on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Cheers.